Hey, this is Emily. And this is Bridget. And you are listening to Stuff Mom Never Told You. Today we are tackling a fun topic that I'm excited so to talk about. And it really is a great story behind how Teen Vogue got what you might call woke. Emily, what is woke? Can you define woke? Girl, <laughs> no. I think we need a whole other episode for that. But I think what's awesome is there have been headlines written about Teen Vogue's sort of change in direction mm-hmm. in recent months. One might even say the last year to incorporating more politically, socially conscious, activisty type content for its young female readers. And so I think woke has to do with being aware mm-hmm. and spreading that awareness and turning your awareness and consciousness raising into actual action taking. I like that definition because I also think one of the ways that Teen Vogue is very woke is that they make this argument that like it's okay if you care about lip gloss and also social justice. Yes. It's cool to care about both. Yes. Which honestly, we're going to we're going to unpack many layers of that this episode because I'm a little late to the party on mm. that. I had I think baggage. You thought it was uncool to be to be into social justice? No. I <laughs> no, thought I'm it was kidding. uncool. Yeah. <laughs> LOL, you got me. Oh, man. I'm so gullible sometimes. Basically, I used to have feelings about women who spent all this time on beauty products and shopping for clothes, and I used to make really unfair judgment calls about their awareness or activism, and that's that's not cool. So let's, let's go back to the beginning here. Teen Vogue really started to become a phenomenon around one specific article that was published in Teen Vogue last year. And the title of that article was... Donald Trump is gaslighting America. Yeah. Like, hardcore that is, title. That is like, as titles go, that title is going mm-hmm. for it, right? Like, I remember seeing um, funny tweets that were like, Teen Vogue, Table of Contents, How to Achieve the Perfect Liquid Liner, The Best, you know, Sandals for Summer, Donald Trump is Gaslighting America. Like, <laughs> like so, all caps. so intense. Yeah, it is so intense. And what, what's great, though, is that they took a conversation around gaslighting, which I know we might already know what that means, but just to reiterate, it's when someone makes you feel crazy. Specifically, this is something that happens often to women. Mm-hmm. When you're making your voice heard or you're advocating for yourself or complaining righteously right. and, in, and with good reason about being mistreated, and they make you feel crazy for having that complaint. Yeah, it's a tactic of making like you or whoever is being the victim of this making them not believe their own right. perceptions. And so right. it's like... It's abuse. Right. It's, 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 it's just a very abuse, specific abusive. kind of verbal abuse. Totally. So I think Donald Trump's relationship with the truth is sketchy at best. You think? Um, and I think they really unabashedly broke down how Donald Trump is using that same tactic of gaslighting that happens in one-on-one conversations in a very public narrative way with the media and with his own Twitter feed and with all the ways that he communicates. Right. So they they write this article and the reaction is insane. I'm someone who pays attention to like articles that are written about politics and I have not seen anything blow up not in quite I, this way. Exactly. So Web traffic apparently jumped to 7.7 million unique visitors that Jeez. month, according to Comscore, from 3 million a year 
earlier. Wow. Okay. So enormous traffic. That traffic held and expanded over the month, hitting a high of 9.2 million unique views, according to Condé Nast. So shout out to the journalist behind that article, Laura Duca. Um, she is amazing. She's, if you, if you are looking for someone like hilarious to follow on Twitter, yeah. definitely give her a follow. Awesome. Um, but I also think she's someone, even before Teen Vogue, she's someone who's been very vocal, um, in writing and writing and tweeting and posting about Trump. And, you know, that, like, like most women who, who do that, like, she's done so at like, great personal um risk risk like yeah. she has in like the trolls that she has like one of her trolls is that um who's that awful AIDS drug pharma bro oh, Martin Skrlecki was... Oh yeah yeah he's yeah. like a very one of her like notable trolls to the point where like he I've seen things that he's posted about her and it's scary it's like yeah. it's like she posted a picture of her and her husband or her and her boyfriend on 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 Instagram and he put his face over her husband's face. And it was the weirdest thing I've ever seen. Wow. So she's done this, like many women, at great personal risk we got to do an episode on the kind of online harassment that female journalists get. Yeah. We should definitely do that. Definitely. Um, well, that is an unfortunate byproduct of being well-known for an amazing, kick-ass article that she wrote. But what's funnier is the response that she got from people who were pleasantly but suspiciously surprised. I don't know if funny is the right word here, but let's take Dan Rather, for example. Dan Rather is a an outspoken um, freedom of the press sort of person right. after his long tenure on air. And he says in his Facebook post from December 11th, 2016, he says, some might consider Teen Vogue an unlikely source for a detailed examination of gaslighting and Donald Trump Dot, dot, dot. But there you have it. Dot, dot, dot. <laughs> First of all, that's what? such a, like, like journalist two Dan ellipses, way to put it. Yeah. Two ellipses, Dan? Come on. Yeah. J-School J- peeps would not be happy with you. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I, I've seen this Dan Rather's take, even on my own personal Facebook feed, from very well-meaning, might you say, benevolent friends. Ooh, yeah. Who are like, who would have thought that, like, Teen Vogue would be leading the resistance? Right. And I, I would have thought that. Like, I think the surprise, I think, is meant to be complimentary. Like, oh, we're pleasantly well, surprised. Yeah. But actually, it's, it's, it's illustrating a kind of underlying assumption that, like, young women and young women's publications can't tackle very serious and topics. I will be the first to admit that I was surprised to hear that. I mean, I think there were a lot of people who were surprised by that. Yeah. And I think it pulled upon our un- unconscious bias and our unconscious assumptions there to sort of check ourselves. Because before I even had a chance to repost it, I started seeing the counter narrative mm-hmm. to that narrative, right? The, the initial narrative was like, oh my God, Teen Vogue is killing it. Check this out. How surprising is that? Right. And then immediately the counter narrative is, if you're surprised by this, you're it a is, sexist. It's so interesting how those like, two uh. different... Um, Two different yeah. arguments really like bubbled up. They went very quickly. Very quickly. And I mean, there were like thirty thousand tweets. Um, I think right after that that article went public, a uh, public, um, including from journalists on NPR, CBS News, Fox News host Tucker Carlson show where he had Lauren on and then berated her for covering both politics and fashion, saying, "Quote." You should stick to those thigh-high boots. You're better at that. Oh, but he's not a sexist. That wasn't benevolent at he all. He loves women. Right? Yeah. He's like, just trying to help. That's so... Just pr- providing editorial support. And again, I mean, this is something that is a personal... And I know it's something that you have feelings on, too, but it's a personal pet peeve of mine because I feel like 
we live in a society where it's totally fine for men to have dual interests. Like, GQ, no, yeah, Playboy. No one ever yeah. you know, berates or lectures a man. No one will be like, stick to football, sir, right? Like, Think about Playboy. They literally have pornography right, next, next to, to like, hard-hitting journalism, exactly. and everyone took that seriously. And I've actually seen it. Like, Maybe this is me you know, seeing sexism in everything because it's everywhere. It's so pervasive. But like... When something is happening, particularly around Beyonce or the Kardashians, yeah. and everyone is talking about it, there's always someone who's like, wouldn't it be great if people cared this much about war or poverty? Shut up. And it's like, yeah, first of all, shut up. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> who asked you? Come on. <laughs> but, but also it's like, who said, like, who Let said us if live. you can't care about, you know? Both. I know, women with our complex identities. Like, can we not right. hold space for the Real Housewives and, and reading the New York Times? We certainly can. Right. And no one says that about men. No one says, you know, if you care about the Super Bowl, then you're not caring about, you know, yeah, Syria. Yeah, shallow. So I think it's time for us to unpack a little bit of the history behind how Teen Vogue went from a publication that primarily covered sort of lighter subject topics, subject matter, lighter subject matter in general, um, to getting to this point of wokeness and allowing us women with multiple passions and very different kinds of interests to feel recognized and catered to when opening the pages of something like Teen Vogue and specifically a very young readership that right. they have. Um, and there's, there's an interesting story behind that, Bridget. But before we go there, I think it's time for us to take a quick break and we'll be right back. And we're back, and we want to peel back the layers of Teen Vogue's Awakening. Awokening? Awokening. Awokening. I like that. That sounds like a horror movie about becoming, like, hip. Hip. Like, the Awokening. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Somebody run with that. I think that... That that would be fun. I would watch that. Okay. <laughs> so the awakening of Teen Vogue um, has some interesting history behind it. Well, let's first acknowledge that it was actually created in 2003. So it's not that old. It's not it's like an old magazine years at all. Old. And at the time, Teen Vogue's founding editor-in-chief described its mission to the New York Times as, she said, we're going to do what we do well, which is fashion, beauty, and style. And for many years, they stuck to that content. And there's nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that. They, they, they have, you have to find your niche. Yeah. Okay. Like th- that was their niche. What I love here, and this is from the Brown Daily Herald, my Do alma mater. Do you have mater, any connection to Brown, Emily? My alma <laughs> newspaper that I used to work for, which I loved its coverage here. So shout out to Emily Miller, uh, class of 19, 2019 for her great piece on the politics of Teen Vogue, she showed us that after a 2016 editorial shakeup that led to the promotion of Elaine Welteroth, okay, oh God, Elaine, I I adore her and I really hope I didn't butcher her name there, but after the promotion of Elaine, who, by the way, is the youngest and only the second African-American Condé Nast editor for across all of their publications. Which, pause, that that is like, on the one hand... Go her, but on right. the other hand, kind of what's absurd. That, like, WTF, what's going on? Yeah, and I, you know, I can speak to that a little bit in that, like, publishing yeah. is very, very white, very mm-hmm. male, but like specifically very white. And so, for me, not only is that like sad, but also it makes her accomplishment that much, you know, more significant. Exactly. And who was it? It was Shonda Rhimes in her book Year of Yes, who talked about being the first or only, mm-hmm. right? First or only? Was it first or only? There was one other. She, it's good to be the first, but you want to make sure you're not the only. Yeah. Something so, so along saying those lines. something about it's hard to sort of carry that mantle when you're when you're busy trying to achieve what you're trying to achieve. But Elaine rocked it. She gets 
up the food chain at Teen Vogue. And at that time, in great part to her work, Teen Vogue actually amended its mission to include providing sophisticated yet readable commentary on a broad range of social and political topics. Snaps, snaps, snaps. Snaps. Amazing. I mean... And I, I, I think that it's a great case study for, like, what happens when young people of color yeah. are not just included, but like listened to and, and so, put in charge? Right. And so something that kind of like burns my beans a little bit in the, <laughs> is that an expression? I don't know. Something that burns my beans, we'll, we'll go with it, <laughs> is this idea that like diversity is just having people of color and women right. in, in their the room. Yeah. And it's like, no, like, do they feel comfortable voicing their opinions? Do they feel comfortable making, you know, making decisions? Major and when they make changes. those major decisions, yeah. are they listened to and valued right. and like, right. you know, and I think this is a good case study for what happens when those, when young people of color, young women of color are given the reins and given leadership positions and really having that leadership respected. Yeah. I mean, diversity, I think, like Shonda Rhimes says, to to pull from her again, it's not about promoting just to promote more diverse voices. It's about normalizing. Because I'm sure that Teen Vogue's readership doesn't look as pale as Teen Vogue's leadership. Exactly. So, like, Shonda normalized TV with taking over Thursday nights, right? Like, having... People of color in positions of power is about normalizing our media landscape. So it's been kind of incredible to see the changes in coverage that's happened, have happened since Elaine took took the, yeah, was promoted. It's so great because you see this, like I was saying earlier, this mix of both fashion and hair and clothing advice alongside really heavy hitting issues. And they have, they have, like, I remember seeing one article that's not even necessarily political that I remember thinking like, Gee, that I would have never found that in a magazine when I was growing up. And that's something that people need to, like, young women need to know about. It was like, mm-hmm. what to do if your boyfriend asks you to sext with him and, like, oh, send you, send yeah. pictures of yourself. Um, you know, right. and it was like, that is yeah. content that, like, I would never have thought that I would have seen in, like, a magazine, like, for a magazine for young women. But our today's young women actually need that kind of content. Like, I'm sure that's a situation that happens. Exactly. And, you know, just to jump on that too, because, I actually heard from Joanna Coles, the former editor-in-chief over at Cosmopolitan magazine, about how in today's day and age, young girls need more information and need access to information that's traditionally been left out of those kinds of publications. So I think it was Cosmo back in 2015 or 2016, I can't quite recall, that did a huge spread on Planned Parenthood, on birth control in general. And this is like to some very political content, but really it's the spreading of real information that's backed by science about making sure that young women, teens and girls understand their options and understand what's available to them. And I think just like anyone else, young women are better served when they have more information, not less, right? right. Like more information about their bodies, about science. Some people about... would disagree. True. Vehemently, yes. right? Isn't that insane though? <laughs> like, I mean, like, more more information? No. Right. I, I want my kids to have less information. People do feel that way, which is interesting. Yeah. And so, I mean, I just, I, I applaud Teen Vogue for, for making those choices. And I just love what Essence Magazine said about it. So they said, from exploring Native American girls' thoughts on cultural appropriation to taking a stand on resisting Trump, Donald Trump's America, Teen Vogue has been at the forefront of the most pertinent issues facing young adults. And I just love that because it's true, right? Like, a young, if you're like a 14 year old woman in this country, you need to understand 
what's happening when people talk about Donald Trump on the news. Mm-hmm. You also need to understand what's happening with your body or what to do when your boyfriend asks for a, you know, a topless picture. Right. You also need to understand, like, you might need to understand how to get a good liquid line on your eyes or how to, like, <laughs> you know, match your belt right. to your shoes or right. whatever. Whatever. Yeah. I think there's a, I think it also reflects a broader trend in infotainment. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, think about how we're getting news these days. BuzzFeed is covering hard hitting news. Like, BuzzFeed's exposing some right. political scandals. And Alongside, I think, like, quizzes about, LOL, like, what LOL what, button? Yeah. What dog are you? Disney character are you? Right. What is, what Disney princess would you be? Definitely I, Ariel. Uh, oh, yes, girl. I was such a super fan of The Little Mermaid. Same, same, same. I think I'd memorized every word to the songs when I was like four. Same. Oh, okay. And I pretend, did you play Mermaid? Oh, yes. <laughs> I played Mermaid in the pool. A lot. Yeah, it was a good game. My dad also cried at the end oh, of The Little Mermaid, so which I love because she says goodbye to her father, Triton, oh. and then leaves for a whole other world. My dad's like, a whole new world. That's no, that's wait, different. Yeah. <laughs> wrong. Aladdin. But also Disney great. Movie. Yeah. Jasmine. Shout out to Jasmine, too. Okay. Um, yeah. I think this this does reflect a broader trend of it being okay to get a mix of media in one publication. Totally. And that it's okay like mm. to suit. I mean, I actually really like it when you know, outlets or whatever go high, low, where it's yeah, like yeah. highbrow, lowbrow. And yeah. <laughs> honestly, there's nothing I, I hate more than when, like, I just feel so isolated from, like, whether it's a media outlet or a person who's like, Taylor Swift, never heard of her. All I do is read books. Like, what, what? like that kind of vibe. That's like, when, thing? when people are like, oh, like, how dare you be interested in, like, a lowbrow thing? Oh, like, yeah. I'm too busy, like, you know... Reading proofs or whatever. Like, it's like purposeful ignorance. I hate that. Like I hate. There has like, to be a name for that. There has to. Is be. that a hipster thing to do? It must be. Like I was once at a dinner party where someone, I kid you not, was pretending he had never heard of Beyonce. Not saying he had not heard a song. He was acting like he didn't know. He was like, I'm not familiar. Was he from the United? He States? He was, and he was like, "Oh, I don't even own a TV." I was like, "Oh, come on!" Oh my god, <laughs> it was excruciating. Now it's mainstream to not own a TV. Does he still brag about it? Probably or not to own cable at least. Yeah, okay. probably. Wowzers. Okay, liar. Did you call him out? No, I just smiled politely and and nursed a drink. Oh, it's a bad party. I wish I were there. Me too. Me too. Take me back to them. Let's go there again yeah. so I can call him out. And we'll talk and about we reality TV the whole time. The whole time. And he can read a book. Yeah. I mean, I someone should write a book about reality TV if that hasn't happened yeah. yet. Let's talk about meta media. Anyway, so I think um, the moral of the story here is that Teen Vogue got woke and is serving up the kind of information that young girls want to see with a healthy mix of the lighter topics, which are not, you know, liking makeup and liking fashion and beauty does not make you dumb. And I think this was hard for me. Like, this idea of respecting your readership at Teen Vogue, Cosmo, or wherever, or BuzzFeed, and saying, I like a good cat gif, and I like hard-hitting journalism. Out of curiosity, what was what was your <laughs> discomfort around this idea that you yeah. weren't supposed to like makeup or like well, frilly things? I think it's the tomboy mm-hmm. child that I was, saying like... I want to rebel from a gendered stereotype that I was expected to fill. Right. And so instead of liking frilly dresses and fashion, I still to this day say like, ugh, I don't know how to dress myself. And in reality, I you really- You dress so stylish! I really enjoy dressing myself. But like, there's something to sort of being demure about the lady-like hobbies and habits like, I will be on Reddit, of all places, looking at streetwear inspiration for oh. women. And I'll be like, I'm really, like, spending 45 minutes here 
looking at fashion stuff. Like, right. I shouldn't be embarrassed about this. There's nothing wrong with that. So I don't know. I think there's, I think I still, especially in a city like DC, which is almost androgynous it's, it's in its like fashion. No here. one is, it's not a very fashionable it's not, city. It's, we were talking about New York versus DC mm-hmm. recently, right? Or yeah. maybe it was with my friend Jesse, actually, who she and I were talking about how she dresses very boho and, and very florally and very feminine. But she works in a downtown Washington, D.C. political consulting firm and is a hard-hitting boss over right. there. And we were talking about how in D.C., I think there's this feeling of shoulder pads and suits and the pantsuit phenomenon yeah. that, that more and more of us are bucking. But I'm like, where's the yoga pants phenomenon? <laughs> <laughs> like, can I be a smart, powerful person and... Wear yoga pants right. like nine nine out of ten days. And I mean, yeah. I think the answer is yes, but it's been it's taken me a little while. It's a to get process. There. We're all learning and growing together. Oh, thank you. Um, but yeah, I mean, I I think that Teen Vogue does a great job of showing that like that's okay. It's okay. Yeah. Like we are multifaceted individuals, right. and I think the patriarchy makes us feel like we have to be one or the other. That if we're going to be, we have to either like embrace you know, the feminine and be like a yeah. girly girl or reject the feminine right. and be like, and, I'm, you yeah, know, one of the boys. Yeah. yeah, And it doesn't allow for us to just be our, our authentic, multifaceted selves. And so snaps to places like Teen Vogue who are really allowing young girls to expose, to be exposed to, you know, hard-hitting journalism, right. political activist type stuff, and, you know, not feel bad about having that across the page, across the fold from spring trends or whatever. And that's okay. But but there has been a pushback on that because sometimes those political pieces are heavy. Yeah. Right? So there was a critique that I came across in the journalism, on the journalism, on the (laughs) meta-journalism On the journalism. But on Teen Vogue's sort of editorial choices, which was saying, doesn't it feel a little insensitive to have something about police brutality across the page from, you know, the best lip gloss for your Instagram selfies? Like, there are editorial conundrums that you fall into there. I mean, I think I definitely get that argument. But I think for me, like, I think with your example, police brutality... That's, I, I mean, I hate to say it and this sounds awful, but that is the reality of how we have to live with police brutality. It's not, it, it's easy to think that it's the siloed off thing right. where like you deal with it when you, you know, want to have something ha- somber, like, somber, yeah. right? Like it's like, no, like you are dealing with it alongside your everyday life. And like, right. um, there's a great movie called Dope that I love. And like one of the points of the movie is that kids that live in areas where they are plagued by violence, it's not this like, it's they're they're living their lives and their lives are the same as anyone else's like a teenager's life where they listen to music, fall in right. love, have crushes. Their lives are just punctuated by extreme violence, violence. and that they are still living what what might seem like ordinary, you know, adolescent right. lives and have ordinary adolescence concerns. Right. But like they, they are not able to then silo off That's a good you point. know. And so like why should we as readers be able to be like, well when I want something bum like a bummer, bummer. I'm gonna and reach for this magazine. Yeah. When I want something that's like light and fluffy, I reach for this. And that's not how it happens. It's not how it happens yeah. in people's lives. That's a really good point. Well I think it's been a, a sign of the bold leadership at Teen Vogue that they are willing to go there and push those limits and gain get some flack in the process and deal with these sexist reactions of saying, yeah. like, who the hell does Teen Vogue think they are? But I was really pleasantly surprised to hear from Anna Wintour her quote um, about Elaine taking the helm. She said, Elaine is incredibly in tune with the Teen Vogue audience and has used that unique insight to engage and connect with her readers on a very personal 
level. Over the last year, she's demonstrated a fearless leadership in her pursuit to make Teen Vogue the voice of a new generation. And we look forward to all she will accomplish. So we have a bit of, like, I think we should take a break before we provide the happy ending to this story, which is even more exciting about Elaine's role at Teen Vogue. Does that sound good to you? Yeah. Okay. So we'll be right back after a quick break and a quick word from our sponsors. So, Bridget, we've got some exciting news to share about where this story went next now that we're back from a break. So in very exciting Teen Vogue news, <laughs> Elaine was officially named as the editor-in-chief of Teen Vogue, which, which is awesome. great for her. Like, I couldn't be more happy. And again, like, there are just so few women of color, particularly black women in the media space. Having there be black editor-in-chief mm-hmm. is is huge. I mean, just the masthead of any big, right. you know, publication, there's so few, you know, non-white faces. And so... And now she's not just in charge of making editorial, like decisions on single stories or or in the digital realm where she was really focused previously, along with um, Picardi. Philip Picardi Philip was Picardi, her digital editor as well. Correct. Um, who also played a big role, by the way. We have to give Philip yeah, a shout, shout out. out. He played a big role alongside Elaine in making this content of activism and political awareness more of a priority at right. Teen Vogue. But it's, it's great to have someone like her now in charge of thinking about the future of Teen Vogue's brand and really making sure that we're aligning media with the new media landscape yeah. that teens are consuming these yeah. days. So teens. I think it was a, a smart move on Condé Nast's part. I think so too. And I think, I mean, when you look at, when you look at her, uh, Elaine's background, mm-hmm. like she again, like really nicely bridges that gap of like, you know, coming, she came from the world of, you know, fashion mags and things right. like that. Before her work at Teen Vogue, she was a... Uh, yeah, in 2012, she joined Teen Vogue. Pri- prior to that, she was at Glamour Magazine as a senior beauty editor. And then before that, she worked as the beauty and style editor of Ebony Magazine. So how cool is that? She she really did focus on beauty yeah. and style. And now she's saying, you know what we need in addition to beauty and style in this beauty and style magazine is let's woke it up a yeah. bit. And I, that's awesome. I love that. I mean, I think one of my favorite sayings is tweens will save us all. I think that she is. <laughs> I think that's truer now than it's ever. It's so true. And like, I think that like tweens will lead the way. Like if mm. you want to know what's hip, what's happening, like who's like tweens are at the forefront. If you have yeah. tween cousins, tween kids, tween siblings, talk to the tweens, like find out what the tweens are up to. Yeah. Um, and I just think that like, Someone who is young, fresh, hip. These are the voices that we need to be listening to. And honestly, like, I think that people like Elaine, people who are young, free thinking, yeah, people of color, they should be in my perfect world. They'd be on the mastheads of every big publication mm-hmm. in the United States. And I think that we'd be better served that well, way. Well, take, I think they should, uh, take a page from Teen Vogue, one might say. Oh. Um, because it's working. It's obviously working for them. I think, you know, what's interesting about the Teen Vogue story is that when Welteroth and her colleagues have injected sort of that new activist energy into the content strategy there, it's been noticed by other publications in this space. And I've seen other publications, what I imagine to be taking a page from their magazine, as you said, like... um, (laughs) Paste Magazine is a magazine that you might think of as, like, a music magazine, but is getting into more, like, political stuff. And I think I saw someone tweet once, like, in the, in 2017, with Trump in our White House and with, like, 
so many different things kind of popping off politically and socially. Yeah. If you are a journalist, you are al- always kind of a political journalist. Yeah. Even if you write about food, you're kind of also writing about it, politics. Does that explain why all of our podcasts are ending up being political? Yeah, I swear we're not doing <laughs> we're not that really on purpose. Trying. We're just like, oh my God, it all comes back to, to Donald Trump. I think, um, I think that's, it's a hard thing to ignore today. And I think that's a really fair point for everybody in the media landscape to take into consideration because, and I, I want to go back to, to sort of wrap things up with this takeaway around women's publications, mm. not having to silo women's voices into a particular, like, this is all we care about category. Right. Like, I think there's been a historical silencing of women, like saying this is women's news or this is not women's news. This is women's issues. Right. And these are not women's issues. And I think this is a sign of the times that those barriers are starting to really be broken down. And we've acknowledged that it's been true all along that women have varying interests and it's okay for those seemingly incongruent interests to coexist peacefully in the same magazine. I love, and like I, as someone who is either I'm like blogging about social change or like watching Real Housewives, I have to defend this all the time. And I always like to say like, I am vast. I contain multitudes, right? Like I can be, you know, on the dance floor or I can be like, you know, at a protest. Yeah. And so I think with that, I think I would love to hear from our listeners in terms of what are the seemingly incongruent interests that you hold that you're happy to have peacefully coexist as the multitudes that are within you? Like, I'm really interested. Like, what do you love reading about? Do you, you know, are you able to find in a single publication the kind of mix of media that really speaks to you? And if so, what publications are those? And also, what are your guilty pleasures? Like, yeah. what do you, or, or what do you want to see alongside those guilty pleasures, yeah. right? Like, what do you think pairs nicely together or makes sense to pair together? Right. Like, a pedicure and a New York magazine. Yeah. Or, sounds, that sounds great. Doesn't it? Right? That's like, I think that's a very, Good encapsulation of my average Saturday or Sunday. <laughs> so we want to hear from you on this. Send us a snap on Instagram at Stuff Mom Never Told You. Shoot us a tweet at Mom Stuff Podcast on Twitter. Or we always love to read your mail in our inbox. So shoot us an email at MomStuff at HowStuffWorks.com. Mm-hmm. 